welcome to another episode of Search News You Can Use with me, Dr. Marie Haynes. I'm really excited for this episode because what we're going to do today is walk through a bit of a website review. I was trying to think of what topic I would do this week, and then I went on Twitter and I tried to get some inspiration, and I got talking to a follower named Ryan C., uh, who was asking me some questions about his website. So during COVID, Ryan started up a business going around offering disinfecting services, uh, which eventually evolved for him into a power washing business. It sounds super rewarding. I, I'm sitting at home staring at a computer screen all day and Ryan's going around making businesses, uh, buildings look beautiful. <laughs> Pressure washing is a, a lot of fun. So Ryan realized that if he could get more visitors to his website, he can get more customers and grow his business. And from what he was telling me, he's having a hard time getting good advice online on how to do that. So in this episode, we're going to take a look at his website, stereosweep.com. Ryan's given me permission to share his site so that we can all learn from this. Not next episode, but the one after that, we're going to have the long-awaited discussion with Glenn Gabe on dissecting traffic drops, drops in organic traffic. We put it off for a little bit, but we're booked now, and so we should be having a really good, fun conversation in a few weeks' time. In terms of SEO news this week, I was going to say it's been a fairly light week, and then literally seconds before I started recording, I see on Twitter that Google Analytics is going away, like regular analytics, the universal analytics that most of us are still currently using. Google wants us all to move to GA4, saying that GA4 operates across platforms. It doesn't rely exclusively on cookies. Uh, it uses an event-based data model, and it delivers user-centric measurement. Now. I have to say that I don't actually know a lot about GA4. We have a couple of consultants that we work with when we need to deal with GA4 issues. I know we've sent some stuff to Dana DiTomaso from Kickpoint. I highly recommend her. Uh, I imagine that Dana and lots of people who work on GA4 are going to be very, very busy in the upcoming year. The, the thing that concerned me the most about this announcement was that Google says that as of July 1st, 2023, so not this year, but next year, all standard universal analytics properties are going to stop processing new hits. So my understanding is if you don't move to GA4, regular analytics is not going to work anymore. But the scary part to me is the very last bit where it says, make the move over to GA now as soon as possible uh, so that you can build the necessary historical data before Universal Analytics stops processing new hits. It sounds to me like if a site doesn't move over to GA4, we're eventually going to lose all of the historical data that's in analytics. I don't know that 100% for sure, but that's what it sounds like to me. And this will be a real headache for us because often what happens is sites come to us and say, yeah, we've been losing traffic over the years. And then we spend a lot of time in analytics trying to analyze what happened, what pages have lost traffic, uh, what losses coincide with certain updates, whether traffic dropped in just Google or also other search engines. There's a lot that we look at. So if we don't have historical data, it's going to make our jobs a lot harder. Um, I'm sure we're going to talk about this topic a lot 
Uh, I'm, I have more than I need to learn on GA4, so I'll share that with you as I learn it. Uh, I saw, I uh, I retweeted or I tweeted about this announcement just before recording, and judging by the responses, I think the SEO community is uh, is is just as concerned as I am. Joy Hawkins retweeted me saying, "Kill me now." <laughs> Joe Youngblood retweeted uh, saying, "This is complete BS." And then there's a bunch of people just saying how their day was ruined. And <laughs> here's Morty Oberstein uh, saying simply, no, 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 God, no. <laughs> Honestly, I think this news is going to cause a lot of work for SEOs. Maybe that's a good thing. Maybe some of you need some more business and, and we can uh, sell consulting to our clients on, on learning GA4. Now's the time to be an expert on GA4. <laughs> I'm, I'm laughing because I dictated my notes into Google Docs for this part, and it, it, it wanted me to say now's the time to be an expert on GTA 4. <laughs> That's a video game, Grand Theft Auto. No, Google, I'm not mad at a video game. I, it's you that I have issues with right now. I think this is going to cause a lot of headaches for uh, everybody in our industry. Uh, so we'll come back to that in more detail in future episodes. In other news, the SEMrush sensor has been relatively low this week. Things have been quiet. Uh, Barry Schwartz said that he, actually, I think he did report on a possible update over the weekend, uh, but the chatter was really weak, and really our data at MHC doesn't show much SERP turbulence compared to what we've been used to seeing lately. Uh, although it's probably worth noting that I've been looking back at February 24th, 2022. Uh, it seems to be a date to pay attention to. We have a few clients with really nice increases in Google organic traffic that start specifically on February 24th. So at first, people were wondering whether changes seen on this date were connected to the page experience update uh, as the desktop version of page experience, that's the, the core web vitals plus more update, finished out uh, rolling out on February 22nd. I spent some time digging around to try to make a case for that happening, but I really don't think there is one. I don't think this is connected to the page experience update. And then the other thing that happened on February 24th, of course, was that Russia invaded Ukraine. And this will impact traffic for a lot of sites in ways that might be hard to measure. I know myself, I've been trying to make sense of the horrible situation. I mean, I don't even think it's possible to make sense of it. Um, but I've been trying to understand more about what's happening. And so I've been spending time reading news websites and learning history and that's going to take me away from whatever websites I normally would hang out on and cause their traffic to, to be less. Um, one of our clients runs a website that covers things, uh, topics on world geography. And his traffic is really, really good right now. Uh, so some sites are, are doing well. Um, initially, when I saw a lot of changes starting on February 24th, I assumed that they were all connected to world events, but now that some time has passed, I really do think that something changed in Google's algorithms. It's still possible that it's connected to what's happening in Ukraine. Google says in their guide to how they fight disinformation that in times of crisis, they may turn up the dial in terms of what's required for authoritativeness and trustworthiness when ranking for, especially for YMYL queries. Uh, I, I still think we'll find out that Google implemented something new, whether it's that or something else on February 24th. 
At this point, if you were affected, I don't have any new advice for recovery other than what we usually recommend, which is to read Google's blog post on what site owners should know about core updates, to read the quality raters guidelines. Uh, we also have a book on a summary uh, of what we recommend taking out of that. I'm working on a rewrite to that. That should be out later uh, in this year. Um, and also to look for clues, uh, uh, yeah, in the QRG to see what you could change. Do all you can to make your sites technically sound. And also, probably most importantly, look at keywords where you saw drops and critically analyze how your content does at providing value compared to competitors. Look at does who provides the searcher with the answers that they're looking for. Uh, you can read the rest of the stuff that we found interesting this week in our newsletter, uh, which you can find at mariehaines.com slash newsletter. This podcast episode corresponds with episode number 226 of Search News You Can Use. Um, one of the things that we cover in there has been uh, that we've seen a few more sightings of things that look a little bit like Google's mum technology. Uh, but it turns out that they're not, <laughs> at least just yet. So let me try to explain that. I should say, as I was preparing for this episode, I realized that I didn't know the proper terminology to use when describing mum. You know, is it, do we say it's an algorithm, a framework, or, or something else? So I asked my team about it, and we sort of settled on technology, but then we weren't 100% sure. So I went to Twitter, and uh, actually it stirred up some very interesting conversation. It turns out that I'm not the only one who's unsure of what terminology to use when talking about mum. Uh, I thought the best response, though, on Twitter came from Adam Reimer. He said he wasn't aware of Google's mum, but knew that it had two dads, Larry and Sergey. <laughs> that one made me laugh. Adam always makes me laugh. So Bill Slosky pointed out that mum could accurately be called an algorithm because what it does is it trains content to be used in a pipeline of different tasks. So this makes sense, right? Because... The uses that Google told us about for mum in their search on event, they're all things where they would gather information and display it to the searcher in a concise way. So one of those features was things to know in the search results, which looks very similar to what we're used to seeing with people also ask accordions, except that this feature is powered by mum. And Google has told us that mum can help return a whole bunch of subtopics for a search that combine articles, videos, and images, and a bunch of things from across the web. Bill also said that mum's used to make building specific results easier. He said, quote, it acts as a pre-training model as it exercises instructions on that content, and that makes it an algorithm. So if you're talking about mum, it sounds like the correct terminology is to call it an algorithm. And then Jennifer Slake chimed in. Jen runs the SEM post, and she writes a lot on Google's quality raters guidelines. We've spoken together at conferences a few times. So Jen said that she had the same question a few months ago, and she went looking in non-SEO industry sources to get rid of any bias, because this is what happens in our industry. I mean, let's say I got it wrong, and I'm calling it the mum framework or something that probably doesn't actually make sense. Well, some of you who are listening are going to start calling it that, and then it can spiral so that most of us are using the wrong terminology. So 
Jen's conclusions, I'm glad that she did that, uh, were that uh, algorithm actually was the term that was most often used when people were describing mum, and that Google themselves in their blog post actually called it technology. So I'm going to call it Google's mum technology or mum algorithm. Now, if you're listening to this and you have more knowledge on this subject than I do and, uh, and perhaps disagree with what I'm saying, then please do reach out to me on Twitter. I'm Marie underscore Haynes. Uh, I think we're going to be talking about mum a lot in the next couple of years. So I want to do all I can to be accurate on this. So there were three new things this week that really looked like mum in Google's algorithm. First, Brody Clark, so Brody monitors the search results a lot to see if there are changes that are worth noting. And I'm really thankful that you do that, Brody, because it helps so many of us. One of the things that was noted was on a search for coffee grinding, there's a thing to, things to know feature in the search results. So under things to know, there's topics that fold out into accordions. Um, and there are things like uh, the best settings for grinding coffee different levels of grinding coffee, tips for grinding coffee, how to grind coffee. Very, very similar to People Also Asks. And at this point, the results that uh, in Brody's screenshots, they were all text results, no images, no videos. So at Google's search on event, they told us that one of the very first uses of mum that they would be implementing, although it's not the first, uh, would be called things to know. So I assume that when Brody was seeing things to know in the search results that this was mum-powered. Now, Danny Sullivan from Google, he did say in the past that Google would not be mum on mum. Very funny, Danny. <laughs> and so uh, I tweeted at him and I asked uh, if what Brody was seeing, these, these things to know in the search results actually was mum. And Danny said it was not. <laughs> uh, but then Barry Schwartz wrote yesterday that things to know is not yet mum-powered. So it sounds like uh, this is the precursor to what they want to use MUM on. Uh, and I imagine that when they do start to implement MUM and use it into things to know, that we're going to see images and video in those results too, but we'll see what happens. Brody also saw something this week labeled as a buying guide on the SERPs. This was for the query shoes. Uh, I think I replicated this once on a U.S. search. I was able to do this. And then I tried again and I couldn't get it. So it sounds like Google is still testing this. This was very similar to the things to know feature. And it included things like materials, brands, and unusual topics that you don't usually see. At least I think you don't. Um, I haven't done extensive keyword research into how people search for shoes. But some of the topics in this buying guide were things like comfort weight, an outsole. <laughs> I don't even know what an outsole is. I had to look it up. <laughs> it's just the bottom of a shoe. I don't know why they don't call it more something more clear, like shoe bottom. But anyways, it's interesting to see that this buying guide knows what questions are important to people. And the third thing that we saw in the search results this week, Brian Frieselben tweeted a GIF showing that he was watching a video where someone was giving a review about a particular type of makeup product, uh, a foundation, and he clicked on the thumbnail. Now, instead of Google taking him to that video, which is what you would expect that you would go to a YouTube search, what happened was he was presented with a bunch of search results below the thumbnail with images, text, and videos showing product reviews for that foundation. To me, that sounds like mum. 
Now, Google told us on Search On that MUM technology was able to extract information from video, even if it's not explicitly mentioned in the video. Um, on Search Engine Land this week, they say that MUM's currently only used for two things in search. One is in deciphering all of the different variations and names for COVID vaccines that are out there, because that's a very rapidly changing environment. And it's something that uh, I would imagine is very difficult to algorithmically determine um, this area because there's not a lot written on it previously. Uh, and then the second is in empowering the related topics and vid in video results. Uh, I do think that what we're seeing here for related topics in the video results is mum, uh, although Danny didn't confirm that. So some of the features like things to know and perhaps buying guides that we're seeing in the search results, they may not yet be mum powered, but it's coming. And my guess is that these features will also eventually uh, return images and video as well. And perhaps even content from other languages, as that's something that mum can do as well, is understand things in other languages um, and, and combine that into content, uh, one piece of content. And so the more we can understand about these features, the better, because we're going to want our clients to rank in there. I foresee that in the future, SEOs are going to be complaining a lot, <laughs> just like we did with featured snippets, that the search results are keeping people in the search results rather than sending them to our websites, which I'm sure is going to happen, but I still think that we're going to want to be found in these mum-powered features as much as we can. Uh, so you can read more on our thoughts on, on what is and isn't mum and what's upcoming in our newsletter, mariehaines.com slash newsletter. Uh, there's a lot of good tips in this newsletter too. There's a, a great conversation on Twitter uh, about doing keyword research for small businesses. I really like that one a lot. Okay. So let's take a look at Ryan's website here. It's called SteriSweep.com. Ryan and I had a very interesting conversation on uh, Twitter this week. He was asking me about his domain name and a few other questions he had at the time. And I didn't have a topic for podcasts, so I thought it would be a fun idea to look at Ryan's site and see if we could share some really practical things that he could be doing to improve his search presence and get more business from people who are searching on Google. Uh, and Ryan was gracious enough to allow me to share his website. So if you want to go to it, S-T-E-R-I-S-W-E-E-P.com. We're going to do a little mini site review here. Now, I've done a few of these at conferences, like PubCon often has panels uh, where people can submit your site and then a panel of experts will give their opinion on what could be improved in terms of SEO. And I know that these can be really nerve wracking for the person who submitted the site. So Ryan, thank you for allowing me to do this and know that my advice here is based on my experience and on what I think will help. Uh, but as with most SEO advice, take the parts that you find helpful, do some research, and then decide which bits you want to try. And know that, you know, I've spent a few hours looking at your website, uh, but there is so much more that could be done with a, a more in-depth uh, look at not only your site, but your competitors and the SERP landscape as well. So Ryan was telling me this story that in late 2019, he started a commercial cleaning business. And one, one of the first sites that I ever got to do SEO for that wasn't my own site uh, was a cleaning business of a family member. And so this is an area that uh, I have some experience in. And I'll tell you, it's an area where it doesn't take a whole lot to rank really well 
in some cases. Uh, you know, some decent content, a few good links, and some EAT work can really do wonders for sites like this. So immediately after Ryan got his business going, the pandemic hits. And he pivoted and took everything that he learned about cleaning and disinfecting and started providing disinfection services uh, because of COVID-19. And that worked well for a while, but he realized that that was a, a temporary solution. It was a temporary thing. Those services are not going to be in demand for forever. What, what ended up happening for Ryan was that he settled on power washing or pressure washing. And this is what he's been doing for the last year. So, so that's a little bit of background about his business. As an entrepreneur and a business owner, Ryan is now starting to get interested in SEO. And he's been trying to find answers on the internet on how to grow his search presence. Now, most of you who are listening to this podcast probably know that that's a scary venture. I've seen some decent stuff uh, occasionally on some of the subreddits that talk about SEO on Reddit and some of the Facebook groups and LinkedIn groups. But I have to tell you that the vast majority of what I see on these sites in terms of SEO advice is complete junk. I, I tweeted out a poll this week um, asking how long my followers have been doing SEO for. It turns out that most of you have been doing this for five or 10 years or even longer. <laughs> I think that a large number of my listeners have more experience in SEO than I do. A lot of you will remember the early days of search, where it was very easy to manipulate Google with tricks and with self-made links. And to a lot of people, that's still what they call SEO today. So people read advice on Reddit that you need backlinks in order to rank. And then they go to places like Fiverr to order them, because that's what a lot of people recommend in these, uh, these posts, these forums. And it blows my mind how many people actually believe that this is going to help them. Years ago, in a lot of cases, you could take any type of mediocre website, you know, just kind of medium quality website. And if you could get enough links pointing to it, it, it would, it would rank even against the authoritative websites in your field. But that was a long time ago. And while links can be very important for ranking today, the types of links that you're going to get by hiring someone on Fiverr or creating low quality links or the type of scalable link that you can uh, turn into a link scheme, those are not going to help you rank today. So when a business owner starts learning about SEO, what often happens is they try to implement tactics that don't work and then they get frustrated. And then they go to hire an SEO company and there's a lot of disconnect there because it's hard to find middle ground when it comes to finding SEO help that's actually affordable. Um, when I first started removing Google penalties in 2012, it was really common for legitimate businesses to come to me after they'd hired low quality link building companies. And, and what these companies do is they say, well, we're going to build you a certain number of links each month for a fixed cost. And that cost was usually very affordable, like a couple of hundred dollars a month. And basically what they do is they use automated programs to make you some links. And then at the other end of the spectrum, you have companies like mine, where if you want me or my team to review your website and give our expertise, you're going to be paying thousands of dollars. Our standard site re review right now, I believe is 7,500 US and our monthly retainers are generally, uh, you know, at least 5,000 and up. Um, 
by the way, if you've worked with us before and you're interested in having my team do ongoing work with you, we have a little bit more capacity now and we're, we're able to take on a couple of more long-term clients. So uh, you can reach out to your auditor if that's you and, and you've been wanting, uh, waiting to work with us for longer. But good SEO work is expensive. And the reason for that, in my opinion, is that the number of people with good knowledge of how to actually do work that, that helps a site grow is very small. And it takes a lot of time and expertise to determine a strategy for SEO. There's so much more than building links. What, what people used to do that actually ranked websites 10, 15 years ago uh, is, is obsolete now. So it's hard for businesses who can't afford thousands of dollars a month for SEO. What do they do? You know, we have some referral partners that uh, I do believe do decent work in some areas of SEO, especially for local SEO. I'm going to talk more about that in a minute. Uh, but you're still, you know, going to pay more than hundreds of dollars per month uh, to, to get somebody with expertise. So I guess what I'm saying here is if you do do good work that actually does move the needle for websites, and if you can do it in ways that aren't tricking Google's algorithms, but rather actually improving the quality of your website and improving your online reputation in ways that Google will reward, then you can actually charge a lot of money for your work. Uh, and, and then what happens is the people who are good at it end up being in demand and very expensive as their prices go up. And then once again, small business owners are stuck with a very small pool of talented and skilled and affordable businesses uh, that have availability for hire. I don't know what the answer is here, but Ryan, there are some simple things that you can do. Uh, you don't need to hire somebody at this point to improve your site and get more customers, in my opinion. So we're going to look at a few areas. The first is technical SEO. Now, some people might get scared by technical SEO, but a lot of technical SEO is not terribly challenging. Some of it is, and you, know, you can get help for those challenging parts, but not all of it is. We're going to talk about keyword research so we can better understand how to target the customers that come your way. And we're going to talk about promotion, not necessarily link building, but what we like to call uh, mention building. We're not trying to trick Google's algorithms or present your business as something more than it is but rather the goal is to get more information published across the web to demonstrate your expertise in this area, your authority in this area, uh, which flows into the final area that we'll talk about, and that's improving EAT. So the first thing that I did with Ryan's site is run a crawl on it. If you're a professional SEO, if you do this for a living, you're probably going to crawl the site with a tool like Screaming Frog or Sitebulb. Uh, and actually, you probably could do that, Ryan. I, I think that with the small number of pages that you have on your site, uh, both of these tools have free plans that you could just crawl those few pages. Um, Screaming Frog is probably a bit more widely used by most SEOs. They're both really, really good tools. But if you're new to SEO, I, I find that Sitebulb is a really, really good tool to invest in. Um, they do a really good job at pointing out where there are issues and then actually providing you with documentation to know, first of all, is this issue actually worth fixing and how to fix it? Uh, so you, you do get a lot of information in there though, and it, it can get overwhelming sometimes. Um, the other thing that you could do if you don't want to invest in one of these tools is to use the free version of either SEMrush or Ahrefs. 
Uh, I believe, again, that you can do a free website crawl for small websites, as long as you don't have too many pages on both of these uh, tools. Um, so, and I know you can with Ahrefs. Ahrefs recently reached out to me to have me review their Ahrefs Webmaster Tools. Actually, Ryan, I'd recommend that for you, that you set up your site on Ahrefs and you run a site crawl and see what you find. Uh, I did set one up on SEMrush just because I had it open uh, just to see what I, I could find. There's actually not a whole lot in terms of technical issues that come up with your site. They mentioned uh, that you've got a link uh, to a missing site map. Honestly, for a site of your size, I don't think you need a site map. Uh, and this is not an issue that I would go about fixing. Um, and for other people listening to this, though, the types of things that you get from these automated site audits sometimes can be helpful. So sometimes you're going to find that certain pages on your site um, perhaps are not able to be crawled by search engines. Or the report might tell you that you have pages that are missing title tags or other little things that are quite easy to fix. Um, in some cases, fixing technical issues really can make a big difference. Uh, a lot of this you can do right in Google Search Console. Um, so say that a page that perhaps SEMrush or Ahrefs has flagged as not crawlable. You can go into Search Console and you can use the URL inspection tool and actually see how Google renders that page. And you can tinker with the page until it works. That's a, that's a good thing to do to make sure that all of your pages are able to be rendered by Google and that they can see the content that you want search engines to see. Another thing that comes up on these automated reports is broken internal links. Uh, an internal link is where one page on your website links to another page on your website. And uh, using internal links properly can be very powerful, especially for smaller sites like yours. Um, internal links are a way of telling search engines, here's what we think this page is about, and also that this page is important. If you link to it lots, then you're telling search engines this is an important page. Now, you've only got three pages on your website uh, that you can still link to internally. Um, once we talk about keywords and we determine which keywords you want your homepage to rank for, you should create internal links on your other pages uh, that, that use these keywords as anchor text. So, for example, on your services page, you could link to your homepage with the keywords pressure washing as anchor text, for example. And actually, it might be a good idea to create a separate page for each of the services that you offer. And then you can create blog content that links internally to those specific service pages. What you're doing here is creating a bit of a network uh, to, to show your expertise and your, your content and your knowledge on these topics. So if you do, say, roof cleaning, anytime on your website that you mention roofs, you link to that page on your website. I'm laughing. My husband, David, is from Newfoundland, and he says roof all the time. I don't know if any of you say roof. That's wrong. And because that page is optimized, people who are searching for roof cleaning specifically may end up on that page. That's a good thing that you want to do. Something that's worth looking into is, uh, again, what we call this hub and spoke design for a website. Other people call it content hubs. The idea is to get information on your website that shows your expertise, and then you um, uh, basically organize it into hubs uh, that, uh, that will help Google to understand those areas of expertise. Not that long ago, it was all the rage to blog every single day. 
uh, or like create tons of content. And I think a lot of sites did this just to create internal links. Um, what I'm trying to say here is that you don't ever want to create content just for the sake of SEO. Every piece of content that you create, whether it's a blog post or a services page on your website, you want to be thinking, how can I make this the most useful page for my potential customers? So say you create a page on your roof cleaning services. Well, then you want to include all sorts of information that your customers would find useful. You want to answer the questions that they are going to have. That particular page would have maybe before and after pictures and questions about the different types. Um, I see you have soft washing and pressure washing, and you've got a little description, but you know, maybe a video here would add more information. Anything you can do to, to, uh, to identify, here's the questions that people are going to have, and here's how I can easily answer that question for them is going to help. So let's talk about keywords. You'll hear people talking about this thing called keyword research. And while there are lots of different ways to do it, in my opinion, for what you need to do for your keyword research really should be very simple. For if, if somebody out there has a massive site that's trying to rank for hundreds or thousands or even millions of keywords, well, there are tools that are very good at helping you determine where that gaps are. Um, maybe you've published content, but you haven't added in certain keywords uh, that people are searching for and adding those keywords or variations of those keywords could help that content to be more relevant. If I was doing keyword research for your site, here's what I would do. First, I'd jot down just ideas. I'd brainstorm. I'd start by optimizing your homepage first, because that's the most important page on your site. And I'd just start thinking, what keywords are customers typing in to come to me? You know, probably things like pressure washing in New Jersey or house washing in Pennsylvania. What, what you have then is this list to start with. And then you look at what your competitors are optimizing for. And the goal here is not to say, oh, they're doing this. I must copy it. It's to get ideas. You're basically just writing down a whole bunch of ideas here. Then, um, so I did a search just quickly for pressure washing New Jersey. And I see that a couple of the sites that are ranking well uh, also use the word exterior cleaning in their business name. Um, you don't necessarily have to have it in your business name, but having the words exterior cleaning somewhere on your page or linking to your homepage from another page on your site using exterior cleaning as anchor text could be something that could help you rank better for that term. So next, what I like to do is go all the way to the bottom of the search results for each of these keywords that I kind of brainstormed as good ideas. And then I look at what Google calls the related results. These are often in gray uh, bubbles at the end of the search results. So when I search for pressure washing New Jersey, some of the related searches are power washing near me, house power washing companies, professional power washing services. That's something interesting. That gives you a clue there. To me, if people are searching for professional power washing services, that means there are people out there who don't want to just hire the kid down the street who, uh, whose dad just bought a pressure washer and wants to make a few extra bucks. They want to hire a professional. So that's one of the things that you would want to emphasize on your website is that you've been doing this for a couple of years, that this is what you do as a profession, that you have lots of expertise and knowledge in this area, and that you have many happy customers who recommend you. All of these 
this is actually EAT related stuff, will help your searchers uh, to, to, to know more about what you do. And then having those words on the page as much as you can will help search engines to know that too. Um, now there's lots more you can do for keyword research. When, when you're starting to write blog posts so that you can link internally to your most important pages, you can use the Google search results to find out what types of questions people have. Uh, I just typed in, does pressure washing? and let Google fill in the auto-suggest. The auto-suggest answers are full of content ideas. You can do this for every question. You know, how does pressure washing, what is pressure washing, can pressure washing, anything that you can think of as a question. Um, there's tools that do this too also. Uh, I think people also, or also asked is a, a tool that does this as well. But for the type of research you're doing, I don't think you need a tool for this. The other really interesting way to do keyword research is to look at the people also ask results. And also, now that they're live this week, uh, these refine and broaden search features can give you some ideas as well. When I search for pressure washing New Jersey, the people also ask results tell me the questions that people also have. How much does it cost to power wash a house in New Jersey? Now, I know the difficulties that come with listing prices on your website. But I bet you, you will find that if you did list prices, you'll get more customers. Is power washing better than pressure washing? I, don't, I didn't know there was a difference. That's something you can address on your website. So the more that you answer these questions, the more you're telling Google, look, you can have confidence that our content is helpful in terms of pressure washing questions that people have. So don't, again, don't get too hung up on keyword variations. If a few people search for house washing with a space and house washing, gosh, it's hard words to say, house washing without one, <laughs> without a space in between them, having both variations on your page is not necessary. Google's going to know that those, in, in the vast majority of cases, that those are the same thing. But say you discover that people are actually searching for something like home washing, and it seems to be a really, really common search, it's not a bad idea to work that in. There's really no exact science to this. So the point of doing keyword research is not just to pepper these keywords throughout your content. Google has an algorithm to look for keyword stuffing, uh, and, and you can be demoted for that. In the very early days of search, in some cases, all it took uh, to rank was to repeatedly use the keywords that you wanted to rank for on your homepage. And, and this is why you see websites that have text that say things that sound like they're written for search engines. Um, you know, text that says, if you're looking for pressure washing in New Jersey, the best pressure washers in New Jersey are our pressure washing New Jersey services. Like, you know, that type of writing is just for search engines. And it's not the type of thing that you want to do. Uh, today. Users can see through that type. It makes your site look very phony and fake. Um, with that said, though, you do need more text on your homepage. Uh, so Google is getting better at understanding images, but they really, really understand text better. Um, for businesses like yours, you can understand why images are helpful to searchers. Uh, I, think, I think the more images you can have, the better. Now, I didn't look at whether your images are optimized. That's something you could look at uh, and do some research on, making sure that uh, images are not causing your page to load very slowly. Um, in Google Search Console, the core web vitals uh, information will help you with that. But really, you shouldn't need to make major changes there unless those scores are all red scores. 
if they are improving, that can help you as well. Um, and so if I look at your website, I see that most of the information that is above the fold, above the fold means information that most users can see without scrolling down. Most of your information is within images, even the text on your page where it says pressure washing, house washing, and roof washing is an image. So what I'd recommend is that you have a paragraph at the start of your content, or at least somewhere above the fold that explains things, explains what you do as if you were talking to a potential customer and not a search engine. Um, so we recommend that you put a little bit of EAT related verbiage on your homepage content, uh, again, geared towards readers and not search engines. You want somebody to land on this page and quickly be able to say, all right, these guys do pressure washing and they might actually be good to hire. Actually, the, you know, the text that you have when you scroll down saying that you are an exterior cleaning company providing services throughout New Jersey, I'd move all of that higher up on the page so it's visible above the fold. Another place where you should probably start considering using a keyword or two is your title tag. The title tag is believed by most SEOs to be a very, very important factor when it comes to telling Google and also other search engines what the purpose of your page is. So I see that your title tag right now is your brand name. It's simply Sweep. It's not a bad thing to have your brand name in your title tag but Google can figure that out. And the title tag is real estate that we can use to basically say like, look, these are the keywords that we want to rank for. Again, you don't want to overdo it. You don't want to stuff keywords into your title tag, but something like pressure washing in New Jersey and Pennsylvania by Sweep might be better than what you have now. Now, eventually, as you get more data on what you're ranking for, you might change that title tag. Uh, I'm not sure if you have Google Search Console set up. You, you should. I, I don't think I saw Google Analytics on your website either. Uh, I definitely get both of those set up as soon as you can. Make sure you set up GA4, not the old version of analytics, uh, uh, because this is uh, Google just announced that it's going away. Um, because you're going to want to be analyzing things. And there's really no external tool that will give you the type of data that you can get from Search Console and analytics. So when you start getting some traffic, Google Search Console is going to show you that perhaps you're ranking for power washing in New Jersey, but you don't have those keywords on the page. And so if a lot of people are actually searching for that and you see Google Search Console shows you impressions for something that, uh, wow, you're actually ranking for this, but you're not actually talking about this subject, um, then that's something to get into your title tag or at least onto the text in your page. Um, creating uh, paragraphs using good structure with headings, you can use that phrase as a heading and then uh, write a paragraph underneath. That's something that helps as well. The other thing I'd recommend for your homepage is to have a clear call to action somewhere closer to the top of the main body of content. This is geared towards your customer that's likely to convert. Now you do have the, the very, very top of your page, uh, call or text. Here's our number and our email address. Um, and, and people though are very used to just tuning out boilerplate content. Uh, and so I'd actually recommend that you have something that's a bit more front and center, either a button or at least some type of text uh, in the above the fold content, the main content, to say, you know, find out more about our offerings or um, book a cleaning now or here are our prices or something like that that's going to get your customers to engage further. 
I really like that you have before and after pictures. I think that's really good for searchers. Uh, something else along that same vein that could help is to have customer testimonials on there as well. Okay, which leads into EAT, expertise, authoritativeness, and trustworthiness. EAT is not a single score or a single factor that you can work on improving. It's not like page speed where we can say, ah, we got our EAT score up, so now you know we meet this uh, criteria that Google has said. And it can be vague as well. Google has said that there are millions of baby algorithms that factor in certain things to help them promote websites that truly are authoritative and trustworthy and have the expertise to talk on the things that they do. In my opinion, EAT is Google trying to gather signals from around the web to demonstrate that you're an authentic business and that you're worth recommending. What it takes to be trustworthy though for a pressure washing site is going to look different than for a site offering medical information, for example. If you're a medical site, it's going to be incredibly important that your content is authored by a doctor or somebody who's recognized online as knowledgeable on your subject. For you, those are things, you know, you don't have to be a doctor to pressure wash, but you, you having expertise can be helpful, but it's not going to be required in order to rank. Uh, I recently wrote an article for Search Engine Land and uh, some stuff for our website as well, talking about this whole concept of YMYL, or your money or your life. If your topics are deemed to be YMYL by Google, then you really won't rank near the top of the search results unless you have stellar EAT. Now, if you asked me a few months ago whether your topics would be considered YMYL, I would have said yes, because in my mind, any site that convinces people to part with their money is your money or your life. But some more recent verbiage from Google makes it sound like maybe it's not such a big idea for businesses offering services uh, that aren't helping people make big medical decisions or financial decisions. So it's debatable whether your topics are YMYL, but regardless, I would still look at EAT. The more you can establish yourself as a solid, trustworthy business online, the better. That should be your goal. And it looks like you're actually already doing some of this, perhaps without even knowing it. Um, Ryan mentioned to me that he reached out to some local press and he got some coverage. And I do see a couple of links pointing to your site. I see that a local chamber of commerce is recommending you as a business to help with COVID-19 uh, disinfection. That's fantastic. And you had a mention on a local news site as well. So you should do more of this. This type of link building is hard. When you go to Fiverr and you pay somebody $35 to build links for you, they're essentially pushing a button to get automated programs to create spam on the web. Google is not going to consider these as recommendations for your business. They're not going to help you. When what we recommend uh, people do though is what we call mention building. And those two links that I pointed out for you, those are mentions. Having your name mentioned as a professional cleaner on news websites, that speaks to your EAT. But you know that a lot of work goes into getting this type of mention. You can't just push a button and suddenly get mentioned on authoritative uh, sites. I'm not sure if you've heard of Harrow, Help a Reporter Out. I'd recommend that you subscribe. It's totally free, and a few times a day you get emails from reporters who are writing stories and they need experts to quote. 
Uh, and so if somebody uh, is writing a story about home improvement, for example, uh, you could provide quotes on the value of um, uh, pressure washing um, your home. The, the other thing that I would do if I were you is start brainstorming on what actually would get people in your community to want to reference your website. This is really hard, but something that works well is statistics and data. You could write a post perhaps on, I'm just thinking here, the dirtiest neighborhoods in New Jersey, or perhaps maybe the cleanest ones would be better. Um, and then reach out to those neighborhood groups for those clean neighborhoods and say, hey, congrats guys, your, your citizens did really well. Um, and reach out to some journalists in this area to see uh, if you can get something going here uh, with this content. Or maybe you could do some charity work. This is really a good way to get links, but again, it takes work, it takes effort, um, and it can take money as well. Um, an example of this, although you have to be careful about jumping into tragic situations, is let's say there was a big house fire or an earthquake or a, you know some type of event that has caused tragedy in your area. Uh, you could offer to help some folks clean for free, perhaps. Um, and then you could ask your social media followers to spread the word. And you could sell that to local journalists and say, hey, if you're writing a story on this subject or on this incident, could you let people know that my company would be happy to help? You're basically trying to get your name and your business name into the news and spoken about in a positive light. Another part of EAT is reputation. We don't know exactly how Google looks at reviews on the web, but my thought is that when they're looking for reputation information, they're trying to make sure that they don't recommend businesses that consistently scam people or make people angry. I haven't looked at your competitors here, but I, I would imagine that reviews are very important in your space. And there's lots of things you could do to encourage your customers to leave reviews. Honestly, the easiest of these is to simply ask them. <laughs> no, nobody wants to do this. I remember the first time I reached out to somebody asking for them to leave a review and I was sure they were going to write back to me saying like, uh, no, I don't want to do that. And you know what? They happily left a review. Most people will. Um, in most cases, I found that if you have a happy customer uh, and they want to thank you and leaving a review is something that really can uh, help. I'm going to come to local search and, and more on reviews in, in just a second here. There's more that you can do to improve EAT as well. Now, I didn't look at whether you're using schema on your website, but making sure that you identify all of the important entities on your website is important. As you build your reputation, you want people to know that when people mention this Ryan person or Starry Sweep, that it's you that they're referring to and not some other Ryan or some other business with a similar name. You should have an About Us page that mentions your full name as well. I understand uh, wanting to be anonymous. The Google Quality Raters Guidelines talk very specifically about this, that uh, if you're anonymous, that's not a good thing uh, because Google wants to be able to find all the other information about you on the web. They won't know how to associate mentions of you and your business with your website. I find a lot of business owners find it hard to create good about us pages uh, because we often don't like to brag about ourselves, but really it can also help you get more customers. 
uh, people want to know that you're an individual, that you're a personable person, that uh, you're even, it, it might not be right, but looking at a smiling picture of, uh, you know, a business owner or somebody enjoying their job helps people trust that person a little bit more. Um, so that page that you create on uh, you and your business and why people should trust you, that will be your entity hub. Jason Barnard has some really good information on entity hubs and how you can build that out. But the goal here though, is to put accurate information about you and your business online. So you want to include things like how long you've been doing this, what types of experience you have, and anything that you think could speak to your expertise. Um, and I like to include too, you know, mentioned in the press or uh, mentioned on this website. You can link to the places where uh, you have been mentioned. Uh, I haven't talked at all yet about Google Maps, uh, which became known as Google My Business, uh, and now it's known as Google Business Places. It's very, very confusing. But what I'm talking about here is the maps listings that appear in the local listings. So when you search for something uh, so pressure washing in your city, um, you're going to see these local maps listings. SEO for ranking in maps is sometimes different than ranking in organic, uh, but a lot of the things that I mentioned uh, for organic search will also help you with your maps listings. Um, and some things that you can do to change uh, your listing here can actually have very rapid ROI. <laughs> what I mean by that is sometimes just optimizing the information in your Google My Business listing uh, and choosing the right categories to rank, uh, to, to, to use can help businesses rank very quickly. Um, you know, especially if your competitors are not paying attention to Google My Business, which sometimes happens for businesses like this. Uh, as you start learning about ranking in local search, you're also going to find that often there's websites that have spammed their way into the local search results. Uh, and so if you see people ranking ahead of you that are spam sites or clearly aren't legitimate pressure washing businesses, um, then you can actually report those profiles to Google My Business or Google Business Places. Uh, and a lot of the time they'll remove them. And that's a way that you can gain rankings as well. Um, I'm not going to go into a lot more detail about ranking in local search uh, because it's actually something that we don't do a lot of for our clients. Uh, but I think it's something that you should be reading about as it's probably your biggest area where you can win here. Um, I'd recommend that you hang out at the local search forum. Uh, this is a forum that's run by Joy Hawkins of Sterling Sky. And the folks there are very, very willing and happy to help out with SEO problems for small businesses. Um, my, my best advice I can give when you're looking for help in SEO forums is to go there with very specific questions. I see all the time people have questions like, you know, I'm trying to rank this website for this keyword. How can I get more visitors? Where a better question might be, um, things like, uh, is this title ch tag change appropriate? Or, um, you know, I saw this error on an automated site crawl and I'm not sure whether I need to be concerned about it. Um, so, you know, specific questions will get you farther. Uh, I started in SEO forums and, uh, as long as you know, um, you know, you use your brain in, uh, looking at which advice is good. If somebody gives you advice that sounds too good to be true, well, it probably is. <laughs> uh, Joy also has a book that she wrote and she keeps that updated on ranking in local search. I, I definitely recommend that as well. Now, you asked me, Ryan, some very specific questions on Twitter that I won't be able to fully cover uh, all of them. One of them, though, was whether you should change your domain name. 
If you asked me this 10 years ago, maybe longer, I would have told you that having keywords in your domain name was often a, a significant ranking factor. And so a website domain name like perhaps Pressure Washing New Jersey, if it was available, it, it probably would be something back then that I would say you should buy. Um, I would say that in some cases, ranking in Google Maps, uh, having keywords in your business name can still help you. That might be a good question to ask in the local search forum. Now, I'd have to do more research to tell you this with certainty, but honestly, my gut instinct is that there would not be a lot of benefit in changing your name. I think your name sounds professional. It sounds like a business. It doesn't sound like a guy who just bought a pressure washer and wants to make a few bucks. <laughs> uh, it doesn't sound spammy to me. And as far as I can see, I and mean, again, I didn't do extensive research, it seems original, uh, which is important because as you're building mentions around the web, I think people are much more likely to reference Ryan from Stary Sweep than Ryan from PennsylvaniaHousewash.com. Again, it will help Google associate your entity mentions with you. Um, you're also limiting yourself, right? If you, uh, if you choose a domain name that limits you to one state or one city or something like that, uh, you've already switched your business model a couple of times. And what happens if you expand out of your current area? So I, I don't really see any benefit to changing your uh, domain name other than maybe you could get a bit of a boost in Google Maps. Uh, but even then, Google is working hard uh, to make it so that keyword stuffing in the business name is not effective. All right, that's a lot of stuff. Uh, there's probably, I mean, there is a lot more that you could be doing, Ryan. I hope that's been helpful. Uh, it has to be helpful. That was an awful lot of information. My goal in sharing this was to help others as well. Uh, if you're trying to do SEO um, and you're, you don't have the budget to hire uh, a company that is good at uh, promoting your search presence, then there are lots of things you can do. But there's also a lot of uh, very difficult, uh, 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 difficult is not the right word, um, there's a lot of misinformation or bad advice on the web as well. Uh, I, some other things I'd also recommend is reading Google's blog post on core updates. Uh, I'll link to that in the show notes here. Um, and also thoroughly studying their search quality evaluator guidelines. The quality raters guidelines, they're not exactly the same as Google's algorithms, but they tell you what Google wants to value. And there are tons of clues in there. We have a book as well that uh, uh, describes how we use the QRG to analyze websites. Uh, so yeah, let's, let's end that there. My gosh, this was a long podcast. I was going to go plant some more seeds, but uh, now, because our garden is growing from seed, now I've got to figure out how worried I need to be about this GA4 thing. I'm all likely talk more about that next week. So yeah, we planted a few hundred veggies and uh, herbs this week. I'm going to do more this weekend. I've been posting uh, pictures on Twitter of our little setup that we have here. It looks like our little garden hobby that started last summer when I was off uh, has turned into almost a full farm. <laughs> so that's going to keep us very, very busy this summer. I hope that wherever you are, you're doing okay. Uh, there's so much in the world to be worried about right now. And, you know, I'm seeing people around me getting sick with all these vague illnesses. I honestly think that stress is killing us. Uh, I've said this before, but I'm going to end with this in case it helps one person. Uh, here's what's helping me deal with all of the stuff that's going on in the world and have joy in the midst of it. First is meditation. I used to think it was hokey, but learning to meditate, I use the Headspace app, Calm is also a good one, has really helped me a lot. I recommend it. The second thing is good nutrition. 
You know, most of the nutrition advice that we've had in the last decade or so has been telling us things to avoid in our diets. (laughs) I've tried eating no dairy, no sugar, no meat, no carbs, you name it. Uh, But I really think the key is to do the opposite. So instead of cutting bad foods out, eat more good things. I'm eating loads of fruits and veggies, especially greens, healthy beans and grains, and just a little bit of meat, mostly fish. Uh... I've been reading about how these foods provide us with neurotransmitters like GABA and dopamine and serotonin and all the things that are necessary to deal with stress and have joy in our lives. Um, And the other thing is eating a variety of healthy foods uh, that what that does is it provides us with really good bacteria that also produce these neurotransmitters. Uh, And then the final thing that I'm going to do, although man, it's tough, is exercise. (laughs) Exercise is known to calm the brain and uh, I've been doing some, but um, it's hard. Uh, It's hard. So that's, that's my goal is to ramp up on exercise this year. I know I'm not an expert on nutrition, uh, but I just, these things have helped me so much. So uh, I just wanted to share that with you guys. Big episode. (laughs) I hope you found this helpful not too long. Uh, Thanks for listening, and I wish you the best of luck with your rankings.